Wow, we're off to a great start. You probably heard my ice cool Dr. Pepper cracking open during the theme song. I cut it off early. I'm hot. I'm sweaty. Anyway, welcome to the Sober Heathen Podcast. Friend and foe, I am Scott the Sober Heathen, and I'm super geeked about this conversation today. We're going to talk with Katie from California about the Sinclair Method and naltroxone. And uh, it's it's something, uh, naltroxone is something that I've experienced in my recovery. Um, and uh, I would like to dive in more with that with Katie. But Katie, thank you so much for being on here. I cannot wait to hear more about this. Yeah, I think it's so cool you had me on. I know we've chatted a bit on Twitter and kind of know a bit about each other, but I'm excited to learn more about you as well and, and share about the Sinclair Method. Yeah, so I guess, you know, um, what is the Sinclair Method? I, the, it is, as deep or as abbreviated as you want to get with it. Sure. So um, oftentimes people want to know why is it called the Sinclair Method? So it's named that after the scientist who discovered it in the 90s. His name was Dr. David Sinclair. So it got given the name the Sinclair Method. But the clinical term is pharmacological extinction of alcohol addiction, meaning the addiction that someone has to alcohol becomes extinct through pharmacology, through medication treatment. So let me explain what the Sinclair Method protocol is, basically. And by the way, I'm a success story of this treatment, which is why I'm such an advocate for it, because I struggled with alcohol for a decade and tried and tried and tried and just couldn't get out of that pit. And it just seemed to be getting worse. And I was honestly at my wits end, like, maybe I'll be an alcoholic forever. And then I found this method. Um, so basically, this method uses the medication naltrexone to help someone initially start by reducing their drinking over time. So it's not an abstinence-based treatment. You actually start it while you're still drinking. Um, a lot of people have a goal on this treatment to get to a place of like normal social drinking. Like I want to be able to have a glass of wine at a wedding or, you know, champagne on my vacation and not overdo it. Um, other people have goals to go alcohol free. And I know it's controversial, but that's something that's so unique about this treatment is that people can drink moderately if they want to. Most people, I should say, uh, because it helps to address the alcohol addiction at the root level, which is actually inside the brain. And of course, there's more to it than just taking a pill and help letting it, you know, help you drink less. But um, that's like the basics of it. So with the protocol, what someone does is, again, they start it while they're still drinking and they take naltrexone at least one hour before drinking and then they drink on the medication. So that's the basic protocol. You take naltrexone, you wait one hour and then you drink. And when someone does that over and over and over again, what's happening is the naltrexone is binding to opioid receptors in the brain because we all know when we drink, it's extremely pleasurable and rewarding for our brain. That's what makes alcohol addictive. It feels good. And so when you take naltrexone before you drink, it's blocking an endorphin reward that your brain produces when you drink. Now, this doesn't make you sick or make drinking this miserable experience. What it does is it just makes it a little bit less interesting and a little bit less desirable. And for a lot of people, it's a gradual change that happens month after month after month where you drink on the medication, you're like, you know, going for it. You know, for me, I was going to polish off my couple bottles of wine, but I'd be like, nah, like it's not as fun as it once was. And it's a gradual process. It's not an overnight thing, but for many people, when they do this repeatedly over time, they can reach that extinction point to where, for me, it honestly feels like the addiction has been erased from my brain. Like my brain is back to the place it was before I even ever had my first sip of alcohol. You know, I don't think about drinking. I don't miss it. I don't want it. I don't fear that I'm going to relapse. It's just as if the addiction 
never existed. And just like to kind of close off that uh, question is just, you know, you can think about this, like with anything in human nature, if something isn't as rewarding, we're going to want to do it less often. If our favorite restaurant gets a new chef and the food isn't as good, we're probably not going to go back every week. We might go back sometimes, but um, similar kind of principles happening where you're, you're drinking, you're doing the behavior, but you're not getting the same reward. And so for many people, usually over six, nine, 12 months, they get to that um, extinction point of the addiction. Wow. That is very interesting. Um, so when you, okay. So in the beginning you were taking this, it doesn't give you the endorphins, that excitement, that reward. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my first thought as an alcoholic is, do you feel anything from the alcohol? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good question. And that's like the number one objection I get, or one of them is like, well, an alcoholic's not really going to take the pill. And just to be fair, like you have to want to make this change. Like I've seen plenty of people start the medication treatment and they weren't quite ready yet. And so they weren't taking the pill correctly. They weren't doing other things to help the medication do its job. And sometimes it takes people a few attempts to start the treatment. Um, So, you know, that's like number one, you have to want to make this change. Like nobody's going to you know, force you to do this. But do you feel anything when you take it? Yeah, you can still get drunk, you still get intoxicated, you still get the buzz effect. Um, I personally like to drink more on the medication because over time I started to trust myself again. I could say, I'm gonna go out with my friends and have some drinks and it wouldn't turn into a blackout drinking night where I drove drunk home and said and did things I regretted. Like, sure. you know, I could I could go out and be sober minded. I'd have two drinks, you know, over four hours and be good. And so, yes, you can still get drunk. You can still get intoxicated. Um, it is just a little bit less it's hard to describe without experience without experiencing sure, it but sure, it's sure. just a little bit less you know when you take that first drink and you're like off to the races and you're like the next drink the next drink mm-hmm, the next mm-hmm. drink it kind of dampens that to where i would sip on a drink and i wasn't thinking about the following drink i might have another one but it wasn't i wasn't something i was thinking about so it kind of um someone once told me it's like the christmas lights aren't going off it just makes sure. it a little bit less like heck yeah, I'm off to the races, which is honestly probably what a quote unquote normal drinker feels. You know, they have a couple drinks and they're like, I don't want any more because I've already, you know, got the reward that I was after for it. Yeah. I, and I totally get that because it, there is a reward and I can remember and I can still feel it in, in my in my body that I have that half pint in my hand and I crack that bottle open and I down that thing. And before there's any possible way whatsoever that it's actually affecting me, those bells and whistles and Christmas lights that you're talking about were already going off. I, I was already excited and feeling great before the alcohol even did anything to me because it was, that was my reward. Yeah. And that's such an important point you bring up because even just by craving alcohol and thinking about drinking those pleasure hormones, the endorphins, the dopamine, Mm -hmm. it's already happening. Like we smell it or we walk by our favorite bar or we see a commercial. So yeah, you're exactly right. Like you're getting the pleasure before you even get to the intoxication point. Yeah, I mean, I'd get it when I'd have that bag and I'd, after I'd bought it and I'd get in my vehicle and the process of buying it was over. I I mean, I was already feeling a mile high. Elated, right? Yep. Totally. And I think you you made good points because when I tried Naltroxone, and I want to follow this up with another question, but I was writing it as you were talking and then you said it. You have to take the meds. Mm -hmm. You have to take the meds. And I didn't, you know, I mean, I did. And then I, then I didn't because... And that leads to another question. Man, this is exciting. Okay, I'll slow, the, I'll slow the fuck down. <laughs> <laughs> so 
you have to take the meds. That's number one. So you have to still make a decision like every other recovery pathway that you can take. You have to make a decision that you want to do this. And right. I, and, and you don't take the pills. It's not going to work. So I, so now my question is, and this wasn't told to me when my doctor prescribed this to me, you say that you need to take it one hour before you drink. I was, when I tried it and I had it, I was taking it in the morning and then I wouldn't drink until I got home that night after work. Exactly. Yep. But talk about that a little bit, I guess. So that's a lot. Um, Okay. So the unlabeled way to take naltrexone, meaning like what it's technically approved for, for alcohol addiction is take it daily. Typically the doctor will say, say, take it daily with abstinence, or they might be okay with you drinking because it it is approved. Like there was just a recent study that came out. It was like naltrexone can reduce binge drinking. And it was in the New York times and good morning America. So some physicians are aware that, okay, yeah, this, this can help you drink less. But the issue lies in the fact if you're taking it in the morning and then drinking at night, you've metabolized most of the medication. And so it's not blocking those receptors in your brain. And so you're still getting the reward from alcohol. So it might help with like craving throughout the day, although the research is kind of like um, contradictory in that. Some studies say it can help with craving on its own. Other studies say it's no better than a placebo. Um, But all that to say that targeted dose is so, so important. So you have peak levels of the medicine in your system. And so the endorphin reward is blocked because what you were doing is you were blocking your receptors throughout the day and then drinking as soon like, and your receptors were becoming unblocked. And actually what the research shows is that after they've kind of been blocked and then the naltrexone wears off and they are no longer blocked, they kind of become sensitive. And so you may have been reinforcing the alcohol even more so because your receptors, your opioid receptors were super sensitive because they were just blocked. So that's something that I hear often from people. Like I've been advocating for this for six years and I'll see people in the comments, oh, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I always want to understand were you taking it correctly or were you taking it like this um or were you not 100 percent consistent with it and right. you know all of these questions that come up but yeah that is super important and even for people who start the treatment because we have some people in our program or i've known people that they're all day drinkers you know they start in the morning and they drink all day um their physician will typically even have them take a second dose like six hours later because they metabolize the medication and they need that blockade blockade again. And so some people take two doses in a, a day. So does uh, that answer your question? Hell yeah, it does. That's, that's fascinating. I, I've just, you know, it, man, it, it feels like a missed opportunity. Not for me. I, I think I'm at a point right now and I told a couple of my buddies, well, my buddy and then uh, my girlfriend that I was going to talk about this. And my buddy's first reaction was, this is, don't get any ideas. Don't get any ideas. You know? And I'm like, no, I don't. I, I think I'm, I think I've made it through the hump now where I'm, I'm okay without alcohol, but um, I think there's, there's people that could use help and me being in the, the recovery service, you know, I'm working at a, at a treatment center. You know, I want to people to be able to explore every single option that can work for them, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and if this, doctors need education courts need education exactly. and clearly my doctor didn't know what the fuck he was doing he just yeah. said here i heard these uh these old i what i my understanding was naltrexone and maybe you can go into this but naltrexone was a pill form of vivitrol is exactly that, is that what it is yeah the tablet naltrexone's been around for a long time vivitrol is more of a new like branded drug the shot form of naltrexone okay. that they're charging an arm and a leg for yeah, yeah. Well, the I was told by um, a psychiatrist that I went to see when I was right in the middle of it that he wouldn't give me the Velvetrol shot because 
of the amount of alcohol I was consuming because he said I wouldn't feel the effects of the alcohol. So I would over drink. And that's a misconception people have as well. I recently had a pharmacist comment on one of my videos and say that, and you still feel the effects of the alcohol. Yes, I will say you can still binge and black out and get drunk on naltrexone, just like you can without it. But naltrexone is not causing you to not feel the effects of the alcohol. Um, You're still getting intoxicated. It's just a little bit less interesting. Um, Maybe like, I don't know, it's hard It's hard to describe. Like sometimes I'll say, okay, imagine you have a cake on day one and it's super fresh and delicious out of the oven and day seven, it's stale. You might still eat some cake, but it's not as enjoyable, you know? Okay. And so when you drink on naltrexone, that's what it's doing, but you can still get the intoxication effects. Some people say they don't feel as intoxicated and other people say they feel more intoxicated. So it varies sure. person to person, but that is just, um, I, you know, I've been in this field for six years. I've coached maybe a thousand people by now. and. Awesome. It's, I don't, that's like not, never a concern to be honest. And, um, yeah, it's, it's incorrect information. And I've gone to addiction conferences and it's just amazing to me how much incorrect or misunderstood information there is out there about naltrexones from even experts in the field. Um, and people not really being open to harm reduction treatments for alcohol addiction. You know, with with this treatment, we're not telling people like you, like, hey, you can drink again, start taking this pill. We're reaching the millions of people who are stuck in alcohol addiction at this moment. And maybe they've tried AA or they've tried rehab and they keep relapsing and they can't get out of it. And this is a treatment that meets them where they're at. This is, hey, you don't have to give up drinking today because that's a freaking terrifying thing for a lot of people, even if they want it, it's like they're addicted. And so this treatment can meet them where they're at and help them get to a place of reduction. And then they can start thinking more clearly. And the longer you're on the treatment, the better it works. So we're not telling, that's another main objection I get. Oh, you're, so you're telling alcoholics to drink. No, not at all. Like you're doing well in your recovery, but for the millions literally that are not doing well or that go to AA and it doesn't work and they think that's their only option. That's like a huge percentage of people we serve is people that have been in the rooms of AA for decades. And they're like, I tried and tried and tried and I can't do it for one reason or another, you know? Um, And if you look at the data of the relapse rates in like traditional rehab, 80% or more of people will relapse within six months. It's just a fact. And when someone is given a treatment that isn't addressing the changes that have happened in the brain as a result of alcohol addiction, they're just told to, you know, do the steps. I don't knock that. Like my dad's sober from AA, like it's an, and I'm a believer. I believe in God and I don't knock that whatsoever, but for people to be told that that's their only option and to understand things like um, the alcohol deprivation effect, which is a phenomenon that happens when someone quits drinking, their brain is deprived of that reward it's been getting. So it kicks up the craving and that craving is what causes many people to relapse. Like if you don't desire something, you're not going to do it, you know? Um, So I'm advocating for this being an alternative treatment, another treatment that's offered to people, particularly those who are like me, they couldn't stay sober. Like they tried and tried and tried and they just couldn't make it, you know, a long period of time. Yeah. I mean, damn, just home runs left and right. And, uh, you know, you you talked about AA. I love AA myself. I I have two big books. If anybody that's watched the podcast has seen me flash them, you know, they look like rainbows because I've got highlighters and sticky notes and stuff in there. I love that. But, I like what you said, you know, meet these people where they're at. I wonder, you know, if I would have gotten the right direction, how that could have helped me. 
like these guys in AA that have 30 years experience, how much did you suffer mm-hmm. in that beginning that you could have gotten some help, you know, some relief? And yeah. I think what we talked about earlier is something that people really need to understand, especially people that aren't alcoholics. Um, those rewards are starting before the alcohol even even gets in that system. You know, it's it's the idea like, oh, my God, Friday night, we're going to the casino. We have a room. I'm already getting all this kickback and the speed and those things are yeah. what are leading up to these things, you know, and I, and yeah. And it's so powerful. The reward our brain gets from alcohol, like when it's measured is twice that, that we even experience from sex, like, you know, and the like wow. things that are super pleasurable. And so it starts to take like the hierarchy over every other pleasure in life. And so I don't know if you're like me, but like, I didn't want to do anything unless I knew alcohol was going to be there. I could be on the most beautiful vacation ever with the people I love. Life couldn't get any better. And I would be like, I need a drink or this is going to suck. And that's because my brain was hijacked by the addiction. And by just by quitting alcohol, it doesn't fix that. The brain has been changed. And over time, granted, it can revert back, but it takes a lot of time. And I meet people who are two years sober and they're like, I still want to drink every day. I still think about drinking every day. And that's what the Sinclair method works to reverse is it reverses that change that's happened in the brain so that like for me one of the biggest changes I noticed maybe a month into the Sinclair method was you know I'm still drinking five days a week probably at that point drinking very heavily still but I wasn't thinking about alcohol as much like I would start thinking about drinking around 11 a.m every day and just fantasize and look forward to it and it would be two o'clock in the afternoon and be like, oh my gosh, I forgot to think about drinking today. <laughs> and I was having alcohol-free days, which I was a seven-day-a-week drinker. And I was having yeah. one or two alcohol-free days consistently a week that weren't like, don't drink today, don't drink today. They were just like, yeah, I don't feel like drinking today. And that was such a gift to see myself become, quote-unquote, empowered over alcohol yeah. and not have it be... Because, you know, like the term like, oh, you're alcohol free, but like alcohol still controlling your life. And I could be sober, but I'd be like controlled by the alcohol still. Mm -hmm. So this is what this method freed me from. Awesome. So I'm trying to, I just got thoughts racing because, you know, I, I I see these people that are still struggling and I have people on the podcast that have all these great stories and like for me, you know, I got four OWIs, you know, I gave an honest effort in AA uh, back in, you know, 19, 2019, 2020. And I was going to a lot of meetings and I tried abuse. I tried, you know, naltroxone, obviously the wrong way, Um, you know, and then I didn't too. I was spitting my pills out or whatever, you know, I wasn't doing it, but I, I was, it, it it did every thought in my mind revolved around alcohol just like you said yeah. you know i mean oh the, the kids are having a birthday party you know a great you know little tiny kids running around big smiles opening gifts that's enough for the normal person but without without alcohol and if we have something that can can help alleviate that man I, I, we have to use it i mean clearly yeah. AA, AA is not perfect as like like i think you posted something like and i've, I've been reading in a book you know it's like a five percent success rate yeah. and that's that's only like the five percent of the people that's only for like a certain amount of time i think you know so it's like we got to try we got to be we, we got to evolve with the times man you know i yeah. 
Yeah, when you know when AA was developed, it, there we believed that the brain was permanent. Like we didn't understand even neuroplasticity at that point, and we probably didn't understand how alcohol addiction functions in the brain sure. nearly as well as we do today, because it was almost a hundred years ago. And so what's happened is there's been advances. I mean, the Sinclair method's been around for thirty years. Now Trexone's been approved for alcohol since the nineties, but. Um, the treatment industry just hasn't caught up yet. It's st still very much in that abstinence only mindset of AA. And that's the only thing that's going to work for people. And I have had, I mean, I have a lot of success stories on my YouTube channel of people who've had success with the method. And kind of like you were saying earlier, it's like, if someone could have learned about this treatment when they first started struggling or were like, you know, not nearly as bad, not at that rock bottom moment or whatever, it yeah. could have helped them much sooner and they would have suffered for years less. And I hear that all of the time. People are like, why wasn't I told this? Why didn't they tell me this in rehab? Why didn't I know about this? Yeah. If I would have known about it years sooner, I could have avoided a lot of pain and heartache and trouble. And I think just for people to know, you know, like another thing that's great about this treatment is that it doesn't have to you know, sometimes people say, is my drinking bad enough for the treatment or is it too bad for the treatment? And I've seen it work for mild, moderate and severe alcohol addiction. People often say, you weren't a real alcoholic if this worked oh, for, for you. Oh, <laughs> I hear that you a lot. Jesus yeah. But like back to what we were saying, you have to want it. So if someone doesn't want to take the pill, it's not going to work for them. But I have seen that like half gallon of vodka a day, more than that even. I've mm -hmm. seen it work for all cases of alcohol addiction. And of course the success rate is clinically proven to be 78%. But so we're not saying, oh, this is a the you know silver bullet for 100% of people. Sure. But like the odds are greatly in someone's favor if they start the treatment and you know have the right support and are, are following it correctly and doing all of that. It can really transform someone's drinking in a matter of six to 12 months. And it doesn't have to even be like, you know, I, I've seen this work. I had a client once, he was like a 19 year old kid who started binge drinking when he was at college yeah. and was in this pattern now. And his parents started him on the medication and he was able to get it back in check. Um, and, you know, as a 19 year old to think like, oh, I'm an alcoholic, I can never drink again. If that's the only option he's given, like, I don't see that being very effective at that age. Maybe he would cycle no. in and out of AA for years and years and years yeah. or something or, or hit a horrible rock bottom, who knows, but it can, it can help people prevent it from escalating. And it can also help people who are really far gone to, to come back. Yeah. I mean, I, that, that was my first thought talking about this. You know, I, I had a, a mother call in to work the other day, asking about her 18 year old son. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to me at that age, okay, mom tells me I need to get some help. Mm -hmm. I'll take this pill every day over going sitting in a room with a bunch of old dudes, you know, looking at me and staring at me and, and like, are you really ready? Or shit down, sit down, shut your mouth and make the coffee. You know, that, that type of stuff, you know, those hardcore yeah. guys. Um, <clears throat> and it, it, it really bothers me that, you know, uh, that real alcoholic term, you know, that people yeah. throw around. I know that's kind of off topic, but it really bothers me because, you know, it's like, really, we need to do that. <laughs> that even needs to be a part of the discussion. You know, know. If, if if you have a desire to stop drinking, that's the only rule to get into AA, right? So if you have a desire to stop drinking and you choose to take this pill, then right. you should be allowed an AA too. I mean, you should be welcome. Yeah. I mean, you should be welcome at, at all costs. So talk a little bit, if, if you don't mind, just a little bit about, um, you know, how did you come to discover naltroxone? How did you find out about it and start your journey? 
Yeah. And I just want to say quickly to what you were saying, like, you know, we use the term alcohol use disorder because it's more of like the clinical term or whatever, but it's, I really feel like it's a person's decision to say whether or not they have a problem with alcohol, if it's causing harm in their life and they feel like they don't have control. Like it's not up to anyone else to say you're a real alcoholic or you're not a real alcoholic and you have to drink this much in order to be considered a real alcoholic. Like I know people I've worked with that have had three or four glasses of wine and they black out and do crazy stuff. That's not a huge amount, but their brain blacks out. And so it's like, are they a real alcoholic? Like, so anyway, that's a topic for me. It's called, it's called, it's called taking their inventory. And that's kind of a no-no in this certain group with two letters in it. Yeah, exactly. So thankfully, there's a lot more people like you out there who are kind of open to it and like, hey, yeah, let's like talk about more options so we can help more people. Um, but there are those loud voices as well. So anyway, my story kind of briefly with TSM is I stumbled upon it one day. There's a now famous TED Talk. I don't know if you've seen it. I've posted it on Twitter several times. Um It's called How I Overcame Alcoholism by an actress named Claudia Christian. She did this TEDx talk in London where um, she talked about her experience with naltrexone. And that was my first introduction to it because I would constantly look online for answers. I always, I like the, the main thing I would listen to was success stories from AA and they would be super inspiring, but I couldn't implement it in my life. It was like there was something missing that was like, but how did you stay sober? Like how? And it was for me, it was that craving that I would just give into eventually because I was like, screw it. I don't care if I'm sacrificing my health or whatever. Like I need a drink. Like it's not worth the fight. Um, so I was always looking online for answers and I stumbled upon that talk and it seemed too good to be true. And I hear that from a lot of people. This is too good to be true. But I was like, well, I got to try it. I got, you know, nothing to lose. And that was a point in my life where I was at a point in my drinking where I, and I wasn't a believer then, but I was like praying for a rock bottom. I was like, maybe if my life got bad enough or if I got a DUI, then maybe I would finally quit. And I'd had horrible health scares before that were linked to my drinking. Like I almost died from blood clots in my lungs, but that didn't stop me. Um, But shortly after that, I almost got a DUI. I got pulled over. I was very drunk, but for some reason, by the grace of God, I did not get a DUI. Um, And then I found that, I found that Ted talk and um, that was in 2017 and it was harder to get naltrexone then. I called four or five, six doctors in my area that all refused a prescription and told me I needed to go to rehab. Um, finally, thankfully, there's a lot of telemedicine doctors now that specialize in this treatment and will prescribe it because naltrexone is benign. It's non-addictive. It does require a prescription, but it's like a very safe medication for most people. Um, and so I got a prescription and Um, started on it. Actually, this is like my six-year anniversary. It was July of 2017 that I started on it. I don't remember the exact day. Um, But within, I would say, the first week of being on the medication, I could see a difference, like very subtle. And that's something I want to say too. With this method, it's not like, bam, you're fixed all of a sudden. It's more these subtle changes that you acquire over time. Kind of like when you lose weight, you have to lose weight very slowly for it to be sustainable. That's kind of what happens with this treatment. I remember in the first week, again, I was like a seven day a week drinker. And my doctor even told me, try to drink every day for the next 30 days on the naltrexone to kind of lay that foundation of, you know, drinking doesn't equal reward essentially. And so I was like, sweet, I get a drink every day. My doctor's telling me to. And I 
um, my first week on the method, I had an alcohol free day by choice because I didn't really feel like drinking. And granted, it was a bit uncomfortable because I was someone who would drink seven nights a week and binge drink on the weekends. And so I remember I was like, I could drink tonight, but I don't like really have a burning desire. So I'm going to go walk on the beach instead and just like go do something else. And that was such a cool feeling to experience an alcohol free day that was not like, forced and white knuckled and me just like resisting that urge um so that was my introduction to the method you know it what happened for me i I think i was a pretty average like textbook case for the method Um, it took me about nine months to reach extinction where essentially that means your brain is restored back to the place it was in before you had addiction the addiction and if you're still drinking it's from a place of total regained control like oh, I'm going to have a glass of wine because we're going to an Italian dinner tonight. And that was literally where I was at. I would have like one glass. Sometimes I wouldn't even be able to finish the one glass because I would just be like, nah, I don't, I don't like it. it. It doesn't do it for me anymore. I didn't like the buzz or the taste or the intoxication feeling anymore, which is just insane to say. Um, but over the course of like the nine months before I reached extinction, my drinking just gradually decreased. I'd have an extra alcohol-free day here and there. I'd see myself not be able to finish a full bottle of wine. I'd see myself order a third glass of wine at the restaurant and not be able to finish it. Um, Just these really cool things were happening. And at about nine months, I was drinking literally one glass of wine once a month, maybe one or two glasses of wine, like once or twice a month. It was like so little that I was drinking just because... um, my my brain had been fixed. Like I just didn't care about alcohol anymore. It didn't occur to me to drink. Um, so I drank that way for about four months on the treatment, like one drink a month. And then after about a year of doing the method, um, I just kept not drinking. And a month after month after month and after four months of not drinking because it just didn't occur to me, I had no thoughts, no desire, I decided I was gonna go alcohol free. And that was about five years ago now. Um, I never say that I'm like never going to drink again because I know with naltrexone I can. I just haven't had a a desire, honestly. Like I just, it doesn't, it doesn't even occur to me. It's kind of like I tell people, you know, alcohol has kind of become like my least favorite food. Like someone can offer it to me and I'm like, nope, I'm good. Or if people are having it around me, I don't miss, miss it or feel like I want it. It's just, um, it feels like it's been erased from my brain. So yeah, that's a bit of my story. Yeah, that's. That's great. Now, do you still take naltroxone or you no. only take it if you plan on? Yeah. So I haven't okay. taken it in five years. I still have some. It might be expired by now. Um, <laughs> but no, you only take it one hour before you drink when you follow this protocol. Okay. Have you ever have you ever taken it when you thought you were going to drink and just said, eh, fuck it, I'm not drinking? Yeah. Yeah, that and that happens for people on this method because what happens is kind of like we were talking about earlier, you know, you those pleasure hormones, the, those things start going off and so you think, oh, I've had a rough day, I'm going to drink tonight. And so you take naltrexone, but once the medication sets in, it's like, oh, I don't feel like it anymore. And that happened a lot for me toward the end of the treatment or chain, pl- plans would change and we wouldn't drink. And so it's not a huge deal to take it and not drink. Um, sure. But yeah, that that does happen. Yeah, that's, that's so great, man. I'm so glad that we got to talk about this. You know, you said, uh, you know, uh, I'll look into the how I overcame alcohol TED talk. There's one, um, another good one. That's uh, everything that we understand about addiction is wrong. Oh, yeah. It's a Oh, yeah. Johan Harari, right? Or something? Yeah, he t- yeah, he talks about the rats in the cage. Yeah, yes. how, how when they have pleasurable things to do outside of it, and they have the two water bottles, one with alcohol and one without. 
you know, isolation and things like that. It's it's a lot more to it than just abstinence and white yeah. knuckling it, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, just don't drink today. Okay, that's great. That's going to get me by today. But then when all hell breaks loose, what the hell am I supposed to do? You exactly. know, because that's, that's the one thing that made me feel good, you know? Yeah. Even yeah. like we talked about, just from the buying it and everything, that's one thing that made me feel good. To yeah. the relief that I can remember having, knowing that I had a couple fists stashed somewhere in the house and I didn't have to worry about going and getting some, was such a, I mean, it's such a great feeling. And it's so yeah. sad to say that, but it's the truth. You know? yeah. And if you can have something to curb that, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, and like, I think something that doesn't get talked about a lot and correct me if I'm wrong, but like when our brain has changed and we have alcohol addiction, our brain is equating alcohol to a survival need. So there's like yep. a reason that we stash it and feel comforted when we have plenty on hand because our brain thinks like we equate it to water or food. Like we might feel good knowing that we have a big jug yep. of water in the fridge or something. And so like, that's something that I feel like was totally um, not presented to me when I was searching for options is like your brain has been changed you're actually like your brain thinks you need alcohol to survive hence the intense craving for it and it's also impacting other parts of the brain that are impacting our ability to think clearly and make decisions and think about our future um, and all of these things. Yeah. So not only do we have this heightened desire for alcohol that's above most other things in life, we also don't have the best like judgment and, and mental clarity around it. So it's really this complex brain issue. But for me, I was told you just need to abstain and like figure out you know, life otherwise outside of that or like, and that's what I would try to do. I, and I would try to do things that were more meaningful or I'd get really into fitness or health or plug into, you know, different communities or programs, but it never fixed that craving and that yeah. urge to drink that would just eventually win. I made it six months sober one time before um, this treatment. And in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm going to drink again one day. It's just a matter of like how long I can go like that. I yeah. remember thinking that all of the time. Um, but yeah, it, this treatment completely changed my life. So, so that's why I can't shut up about it. <laughs> well, and that's good. And I hope you don't and, and ignore the idiots that are, you know, it's such a small portion of people that out there that are just, they're just so damn loud. They're like that yeah. kid that you can't find in the house and you just want to stop its head off. But it's like, you know, I, what we're looking for from addiction is freedom, right? So right. I look at it this way now, like if there's an option to take a pill, that's, you're not held down to throw it in, you take a sip of water, the pill's done. That's not mm -hmm. rearranging your life. You're charitying one addiction for another. If I have to go to three to five meetings a week to stay sober, mm -hmm. now I have to do rearrange my life for this other thing and it's just it's not feasible for some people it's 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 mm -hmm. i don't have time to do that or you don't have a way to do it or the meetings suck in your area you know you yeah. get shoehorned into all these things and now all of a sudden now you're carrying the guilt because you didn't make the meeting mm -hmm. and now you walk back in a day later and there's just you know i mean i'm not going to sit here and make an a bashing thing but yeah. what I'm, I'm not trying to bash it hey what i'm saying as somebody that's been through this and know how the fuck it feels yeah to have that freedom from alcohol and have a free life that isn't, you know, constant, you know, meetings and, and having to do this and answer to certain people. I mean, I, I feel yeah. like you've been living a free life in the past few years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing, like, you would be, maybe you wouldn't be surprised, but I think it's surprised me how many highly successful, high profile people struggle with alcohol. Yeah 
in secret and they can't show their face at AA. Like, you know, especially in a small town, like they would probably lose their career or their license if they're a lawyer or a doctor. And those are the people we also serve that are like, nobody can know I'm getting treatment. Like, and they can start this discreetly from home. Nobody has to know. And it's working for them. And not to say that that's the only people that are benefiting from TSM, but I think that's something that's been so surprising to me is how many people are struggling in total secret and their loved ones don't know. I mean, maybe their loved ones have an inkling. And of course there's the type of drinker where it's like their whole family knows and everyone knows it's this huge issue, but the amount of people who are drinking very heavily every single day or having binge style behaviors when when their spouse goes out of town, it's like a three or four day bender or something like there's a lot of people in that place. And I mean, even for me too, when I started the treatment, I didn't tell anyone I was doing it because I had so much shame around my drinking. I tried to quit so many times before and failed at it. And I was like, well, if this doesn't work, I'm not going to have it just be like another treatment that I'm trying. Um, So people can start this discreetly and um, yeah, or or like people who are in sales or, you know, drinking is a part of their job. It's like, well, I can't not drink. I have to leave my career and, um, you know, they can start on the medication and nobody, nobody will know. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know how many times in these years that I've been going through all this crap with the courts and jail, I will go into jails like, why are you here? You don't seem like a person that should be in jail. Why are you, why are you in court? You know, you shouldn't, you know, you're an alcoholic, you know, my, my circle fucking knows now. I mean, there, there was no hiding it by the end, the last couple of years, it was blatantly obvious where I was at, but there were so many people, you know, I used to coach a long time ago, you know, a lot of people are just like, you know, wow, you did yeah. all that. Like I walk into meetings today as a recovery coach and start telling my story and they're like, really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it, because people, there are people, you know, it's not, the alcoholic isn't necessarily the dude under the bridge, you know, right. with a brown paper bag, you know, it, more and more people are struggling. And if there are alternatives, you know, I know the courts go to is AA. That's what they, mm-hmm. they you know, you got to go get your sheet signed or whatever. Um, I see things open up like Suboxone um, mm-hmm. for people that are on drugs. I've seen people start to use that stuff. Um, and that's helped some people. Is it right for everybody? No. I, I mean, I remember in treatment, I saw a guy take one and he looked like he was, I mean, he was gone. He just, wow. I mean, just zoned out, but it's, it's better than the other stuff, I guess. You know, I mean, that's for them to decide, but yeah, I really think this naltrexone stuff um, is in the Sinclair method is something that I really want to look more into. And I want to, uh, you know, it's something that I want to bring to the table when somebody comes in, um, you know, court ordered and they're, they're struggling, you know, I don't want them to have to suffer through, you know, white knuckling it for 10 yeah. years before it finally click, clicks if there's an option i'd like to explore it you know because we are told yeah. you know like you said too good to be true mm-hmm. we're told it's a certain way it's going to be hard it's going to be a struggle you're going to have to do a b c d e f g but if mm-hmm. there's something that can alleviate that quicker why the frick don't we try it yeah and to be honest like when i started this treatment i loved that it didn't require me to quit drinking because my brain was still addicted to alcohol i was like okay great yes i'm gonna be a moderate drinker like that was my ideal goal and i did that for a good year on this treatment but what happened for me is something i see happen for a lot of people whether it's after six months a year two years three years of following this protocol 
is they go alcohol free accidentally where it's just like, it's not even like, oh, I can't drink anymore. It's like, oh, I haven't drank in a year because I just haven't thought about it. Or I've had out my, one of our coaches that works for us. I was just chatting with her and she's like, I have champagne in my fridge. It's been there for six months. I keep trying to drink it, but I don't want to. That is and awesome. I know it's just a totally different paradigm where it's like no alcohol in the house. You can't drink. Like she's like, I keep trying to be a moderate drinker, but I just can't do it. And she is someone I have her success story on our YouTube. She is someone who did AA for decades. She did aversion therapy where they had her consume insane amounts of alcohol and make her super sick. Like, I don't even think what? they offer that type. Yeah. Jesus. She has done like, re she's done everything and nothing worked until she was on the Sinclair method. And now she's going on, I think year three on the treatment, but she's at a point where she hasn't drank in six months and has that champagne. She keeps meaning to drink, but like can't make herself do it. Wow. So it's just funny. I've been trying to make myself a moderate drinker and I just can't do it. Yeah. Uh, God. It's a total paradigm shift and it's unbelievable. I recognize because we, I feel like we've approached alcohol addiction with a logical mindset. Like, Oh, you can't control it. Then you better not drink it. But yeah, sure. alcohol addiction is not logical again, because it's hijacked our brain. We're equating it to a survival need. It's like, you know, something David Sinclair says, I just posted a video clip. The guy who discovered the method, he's like, you can hold your breath, you know, for 10 seconds, someone offers you $10, maybe you can hold it for longer, but eventually you're going to have to gasp for air. Yeah. And that's similar to what's happening with alcohol. Like for me, it's like, I could white knuckle it for a couple days, couple weeks, maybe a few months. But eventually I was like, nah, screw it. I'm going back at it again. I need the drink because the, you know, what, what was going yeah. on in my brain, the craving became overwhelming and that, that survival need kicked in. Another yeah. person who has this great video on YouTube called the neuroscience of addiction or neuroscience 101 of addiction. I can send it to you if you want. Yes, he talks about how, like, you know, if we're dying of thirst uh, in a, in a, in a desert and we need water and we finally see that glass of water, we might kill someone to get that drink because we know we need it to survive. And I think that explains so well why people who are addicted do insane things. They yeah. destroy their family, their career, their life, their health, just to keep going after the substance because their brain is hijacked yeah. to think they need it for survival. That, that is like one of the best 20 minutes. Like I've watched that video so many times because he just nails it as far as understanding what's going on in the brain when someone um, has an addiction. I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah, please. Yeah. I mean, our brain takes, I mean, it, it wavers on the timeline, but you know, it could take a year or more for the, for everything to kind of come back together. You know, it's yeah. the, I know, and, and this sounds silly to certain people, but like, it's really hard to go to a business. You know, if you're an alcoholic behind closed doors and you go to a business meeting or a birthday party or whatever to turn away alcohol, what's wrong with you? you know <laughs> what's wrong with you? and that that means something to people because not only is alcohol important to them behind closed doors but these interactions with their friends and family are, are greatly important too yeah. and you know like it, it and i'm just so glad that we did this because this is such a, a thing that i i, I want to learn more and more about and as i progress into my you know my trainings into the field i i want i want to have this option to talk about people and hear these kind of stories mm -hmm. i mean it's it, it doesn't sound scary you know what I mean? It's not like, okay, well, you can never drink again, or you're going to go back into a cage. It's like, well, let's try this and, you know, go from there. You know, it's yeah. really great, Katie. I really appreciate coming on and talk about this. Um, go ahead and plug anything you want to plug. You said you got a YouTube channel, uh, your Twitter, Twitter handle, whatever, whatever you want to plug, please. 
Okay. Yeah. It's been a real joy to chat with you as well, Scott. And I look forward to staying in touch. And I think it's amazing the work that you are doing with your podcast and just obviously locally and everything you're doing. So I commend you and I hope you can use this information to help someone in the future. Um, So yeah, I've been making videos on YouTube for about six years, actually documented my journey through the Sinclair method, like most of it for the first year. So I have that on there and tons of success stories. So you can find us Thrive Alcohol Recovery on YouTube. Um, I am being more active on Twitter, but I kind of haven't done great with that, but it's thrive with TSM. And then I make TikTok videos. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Basically, if you search thrive alcohol recovery, you'll find us. And on our website, um, if you go to thrivealcoholrecovery.com, all of the Twitter or all of the social media channels are at the bottom. And we also have some free resources on the website. Like if someone wants to know, is the Sinclair method right for me? I have a free course that talks about that. I talk about mistakes on the method, tips on the method. I have a bunch of free resources that if people just want to kind of learn more about it, um, we have that on our website as well. Awesome. I just subscribed on YouTube. I can't wait to dive into those videos. I was going to do cool. other things, but I think I'm going to sit here right at the computer and continue <laughs> continue my my learning of this stuff. Uh, yeah, I had uh, Justin that's listening on the live on, on Facebook. He said this will help new people in our program. Um, I, I don't think that this is scary to anybody that isn't, you know, um, kind of obsessed with something else. Yeah. I, I think anybody that that really wants help, I think this is only going to give them another option to be free of the shit. And, yeah. you know, and that's that's all that we want to do. Right. We want to try exactly. to help save lives. So thank you so much. Yeah. Kay. This was freaking awesome. This is everything that I thought it would be. Um, you, you, you present very well, obviously you've been doing this for a long time. You know, I appreciate coming on my tiny podcast and, and the, the, the people that listen to this, um, I can't wait to hear their feedback. So I well, and I look forward best. to your podcast growing as well. Thank you for all your advocacy work that you're doing. Well, thank you. All right. Well, uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend, beautiful California, and uh, we'll talk soon. I'm sure. Bye. Bye-bye.